folks welcome back to the norwood noise podcast welcome to thursday february 16th this edition of the podcast as always features myself evan shibble alongside graham griffith most recent headlines are saying that the charges the criminal charges against chris beard have been dropped graham let's open up the podcast with where will chris beard be coaching next season in college basketball yeah i think it's um pretty amazing that um, in December and the beginning of January, we were talking about how Chris Beard is never going to coach again. He's never going to have a job in the world of sports ever again. To now, there's already the rumor mill of where he's going to end up. Um, While all the charges were dropped, there's still that looming thing of like, yeah, you're still kind of charged with it for sure and, and still empirical evidence per the police report you know yeah. that these awful things did happen so it'll be interesting to see um how quickly he gets back into coaching um i'm not entirely confident that it's going to be this year or this next season uh, but i could definitely see it down the line and i think where he's going to end up is at a power six job that kind of needs a um, a resurgence and to add on to that I'd say a power six team that needs a resurgence that also has like a good football team yeah I agree um, and you made that you made that take last night when we were talking about it um, and, I, and I think that's a really good point uh, do you have any kind of leading candidates off the top of your head that you would think um, would kind of fall into that category yeah the first one that immediately came to mind was Ole Miss mm-hmm. um Ole Miss has not had any success uh, in recent memory in basketball. Since, oh, what was his face? Uh, Marshall Henderson? Yeah. Yeah. That probably is like the last time that they were really good. Mm -hmm. Um, And their football team has kind of battled through that mid that they were struggling with for a while and has now become one of the best programs in the SEC, which is saying something. Um, they've done an amazing job. Uh, but to really, you know, add on to that, I think that Ole Miss is a good candidate. We talked about Notre Dame. Notre Dame has a little bit more prestige of the university. I agree. So who knows if um, they would want to look in that direction. Um, another candidate I could see is a Florida State. Oh, that's um, a good call. Florida State struggled. Um, Larry Hamilton's probably got to be retiring pretty soon. Yeah, they have struggled. Uh, this year in basketball has been abysmal, but their you know football program is turning around. Um, they went eleven and three last year, like a very 
very solid campaign. Um, look at it in the Pac-12. You can see an Oregon State. Uh, Definitely. I mean, it tinkles okay. in a really weird spot because obviously after that Elite Eight run, Oregon State gave him a bazillion-dollar huge contract. Um, and now he, and then the following season, he won three games. So, Yeah. Um, I could see him going that way. Uh, I think that the only real um, chance I don't see him going is anywhere in the Big 12. But at the same time, Big 12 is bringing in four new members. And I think Houston and um, Cincinnati are kind of locked in on their guys. But uh, BYU, UCF. Yeah, yeah, like, I mean, definitely. Trying, trying to grow that brand yeah. um, in a new conference, you know, obviously, you know, if you're willing to kind of seed some of the you know, cultural expectations you might have, um, obviously could definitely turn into a very successful move for either of those schools. Yeah, and I could also see, um, I think that the growing feeling among a lot of administrators is that the conference, what conferences are now is not going to be what it is in 10 years. For sure. And I could definitely see a really high mid-major trying to establish themselves, um, kind of taking a risk, um, you know, one that comes to mind is like a Tulane. Mm-hmm. Ron Hunter does well, goes elsewhere. You know, he makes the jump. Maybe, like, that's going to be a landing spot for Chris Beard. Like, you kind of inherit a solid program. Maybe mulls around, he goes to one sweet 16, and then he's back. Uh, exactly. When it's time for a blue blood, that's going to need something. Like, I could definitely see him trying to take, like, a rebuild with an established school or kind of just, like, getting his feet wet, win a couple games and – that's it when sure. the Syracuse job is open when the Kentucky job um, you know like the the schools of that stature in a couple of years are open um, I could see him going that that route as well for sure um, and, and kind of on that same note and really to just wrap up that point and really bring us in um, the only one that I think we discussed that would maybe hit a little bit closer to home big East wise possibly Georgetown you know again don't know what their status is with Ewing. I think it's kind of obviously a very general consensus that he needs to go. Um, but, you know, would they take a risk on Beard this early? You know, we don't know. So definitely one just to keep an eye on. I'm sure all that coaching carousel talk will heat up as we get closer um, to, you know, late March, April, May. Um, but that is all for later and for off-season pods. For now, let's lock in on some results <clears throat> Starting back last Thursday, February 9th, that is where we last left off with you. Um, the big one is really LMU, Loyola Marymount. Once again, the Dragon Slayers uh, taking down St. Mary's. Um, this, came, this game came uh, in Los Angeles, uh, home win for LMU. Again, LMU is not really building anything here, unfortunately. I think they're kind of outside of that conversation for an at-large bid, but getting some momentum and some solid wins against teams that you've played you know, a couple times previously going into that WCC tournament could be very helpful. Um, they actually play again tonight. They play at home against Gonzaga, who they beat in the kennel uh, just a few weeks prior. So LMU kind of proving that they've got a little bit something to say. First time in, in quite a long time that they've been, you know, a reputable kind of headline-making program. Um, looking to Friday, um, obviously a tough one for Xavier, and we'll kind of wrap it all up in the Musketeer Minute, um, but a tough one at Hinkle Fieldhouse against Butler, Butler, excuse me, a two-point loss. Um, nothing really much else to say there, and again, we'll touch on it all later, uh, but worth noting that. And then getting into the Saturday, 
Saturday slate was was really really solid. I felt. Um, we'll start. Uh, obviously, worth noting, St. John's getting a win over Providence. Uh, hugely helpful for all Xavier fans um, to knock Providence out of the game in the Big East standings. Uh, and a win at Madison Square Garden. Um, and definitely a good atmosphere it looked like there. Um, nothing, you know, as close as the, the the atmosphere the Rutgers had a few weeks ago against Michigan State. But still got a good draw there. And it looked like St. John's got kind of a needed win um, after getting absolutely run out of the building the weekend prior here in Cincinnati. Um, Texas, no messing around. They win by 34 against West Virginia. Same thing with Kansas. Both the top teams in the Big 12 really kind of cementing themselves right now. Um, taking care of business. Kansas beat Oklahoma uh, by 23 as well on the road. So, again, a good couple wins there. Alabama pulling away against Auburn uh, on the road at Auburn. Definitely one of the tougher games in the SEC. One of the best environments there in the SEC. Alabama got an 8-point win. And I think, again, some more cementing there really you know, reminding us all um, how legit they are. Uh, obviously taking over number one in the AP polls this week. Illinois beat Rutgers in kind of a weird game. Um, one by nine. Again, Illinois, who knows what to do with them. They're probably going to make the tournament. Probably going to end up in that kind of weird, you know, seven to ten range somewhere in there. Rutgers probably won't be much higher than that too. So, um, again, kind of that battle for second in the, uh, in the Big Ten, which I think we would have thought that Indiana kind of had, you know, grabbed – you know, gotten two hands on and really grabbed a hold of. And then Northwestern goes and beats Purdue and Indiana in back-to-back games, and now they're in second, tie for second as well in the Big uh, Ten. So, again, Big Ten's being the Big Ten. It's Purdue and everybody else. Um, but definitely interested to see how that race kind of shakes out down the stretch. Creighton beat UConn uh, in Omaha. Um, and really, in a super impressive stat, the top four teams in the Big East are all undefeated at home this season. That's pretty unbelievable. Um, and again, something that we'll touch on more, but a good win for the Blue Jays, uh, a good three-point win over UConn. Baylor beats a still-injured TCU team, still waiting for uh, more word on Mike Miles and Eddie Lampkin coming back for the Horned Frogs, um, but in the meantime, they're getting better. They're, they're starting to scrape together um, some good games, good quality games without them. They were up three in this game um, and just didn't have enough to do it. Uh, but they got the Jayhawks visiting early next week, coming off a game against Baylor as well. So uh, definitely some more opportunities, of course, as always in the Big 12 um, for TCU coming up. Um, and then Missouri beating Tennessee. Tennessee lost on back-to-back buzzer beaters last week. Pretty unbelievable stuff there. Um, definitely given the feeling of March. Um, but Tennessee, obviously, as we'll talk about later, but uh, they've kind of turned it around early on this week couple more upsets in the Big 12. Oklahoma State beat Iowa State, and Texas Tech beat Kansas State. Again, really interesting. Texas Tech, obviously, road games are tough in the Big 12. Tough for Kansas State to slide a little bit like this. Um, and then Oklahoma State gets a, a huge road win against Iowa State, their first home loss of the season for Iowa State. Um, and Oklahoma State was hot uh, coming in the middle of the week this week. Um, so they're starting to look at, you know, they're, for, I would say, probably right now firmly off the bubble. Um so good look for Mike Boynton's team and their first year being eligible in the last three for the NCAA tournament. Um, so kind of a cool story to follow there. Stanford storms the court, knocks off number four Arizona. Um, just a weird one for Tommy Lloyd's team. Definitely a, a one that hurts too. Um, Stanford's eleven and fourteen, not a great team this year. Um, so definitely a, a really rough loss and one you don't want to see on the resume. Um, they got outscored forty-seven thirty-five in the second half. Uh, Stanford just just came out hot that second half um, and really kind of you know t- t- took the game by the throat there at the end. 
um, and really a, a, an impressive win for the Cardinal, um, but nothing nothing great there for the Wildcats. And then to wrap it up, kind of the headline of the weekend, I would say, Virginia Duke got into a battle uh, in Charlottesville on Saturday. Virginia won in overtime 69-62. They outscored the Blue Devils 11-4 to in overtime. Um, very questionable call at the end of um, the game there. I think the ruling was that um, the, I, I, what they explained was that the illegal contact was made after the buzzer went off um, when Filipowski went up for that buzzer-beating layup. Um, what I found was interesting was that it seemed that the contact happened well before the clock went out, but the hand of the referee was raised after the clock. Um, don't really know what the exact ruling is there. There was a lot of kind of misleading notions on that from the officials. They went to the so they had the right call. They had the foul on the floor. Then they went to the monitor, took the foul away, said it happened after. I, I don't know what the, what the right call was there, um, but definitely left some Duke fans up in arms um, and really kind of just you know killed all their momentum uh, to you know still be in that game and obviously resulted in a in a solid win for Virginia. So anywho, um, through the Saturday slate, and I guess those early weekend games are also welcome as well. Um, Graham, biggest takeaways, you know, we're getting down to it. It's middle of February. Um, really starting to look at, you know, CD lines and different things like that. Seed line knock games, like the one that Arizona played in. Um, what are kind of your biggest takeaways from this weekend? Uh, <clears throat> Auburn was one of the better teams in the country. And then non-conference play, and they've really um, dropped some very confusing games against Alabama. And you know, this was a game that a lot of people circled way back that this was going to be a very big game, uh, two of the best teams in the SEC. Um, but obviously, Auburn's you know not what Alabama's been uh, this year, but they really brought it, and it was <clears throat> a really hostile environment. I was really impressed with how Auburn was able to hang with Alabama. Uh, for most of the game, and I think just the talent took over. Uh, Sears and Brandon Miller both played an amazing game. Um, just really show that, you know, I think they're the team to beat um, in the SEC, and I was thoroughly impressed um, how they Alabama was able to deal with the adversity. Um, I mean, that's, like, one of the big gripes, you know, with, like, the good Gonzaga teams is that, Sure, they might have all the talent in the world, but they don't really. They kind of like cruise through non-conference. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that Alabama was able to, you know, tough one out and get a good quality win, I think, um, is better for them in the long run than you know beating their rival by twenty. Uh, moving on, um, thought, you know, the Tennessee situation is very confusing because I think that they are really good. Um, they could do it well on both ends of the floor, but they've kind of really just been playing sloppy, playing fast, and I think that's been um, their biggest detriment. You know, they started the season one of the best defenses in the country, and right now, you know, they're getting into track meets with teams that are way below their standard, and I think that is what's um, really caused them to drop some games. Uh, when we look ahead, we'll obviously talk about the Tennessee-Alabama game that just happened, and I think that's gonna, that was a huge win for them. Um, to respond after these two uh, buzzer-beating losses. Uh, to move on, Oklahoma State getting a big win on the road in Ames uh, was huge for them. Um, at the last time we were on the podcast, we talked about how, how cool it would be for Oklahoma State um, to make a run, get into the tournament. And I think that they are very well on pace. 
Um, yeah, I think it's really funny and kind of interesting to see how we kind of talked about, like, like this is how quickly things can change, you know, in, in February and March. is like last week, like, oh, like, they're in the bubble. Like, that'd be cool if they got in. And then they got two huge wins that, that really kind of solidified, like, oh, they're off the bubble. Like, they are in the field firmly. Yeah. Do, no matter what your non-conference resume is, no matter what the analytics say and all that crap, if you go 7-5 and five in the Big 12 right now, like, you're going to be a lock. For sure. Um, it's just such a gauntlet. Um, every game you can't take off. I mean, we talked about, you know, Texas Tech not being all that. Um, they beat Kansas State in Texas. Right. Back-to-back. Like, that's the one of the worst teams, if not the worst team, in the Big 12 this year. Mm-hmm. And they just got two, like, insane wins. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is scary for... You know, the ACC, the SEC, um, Pac-12, Big Ten, Big East of the world because if Texas Tech is pulling together wins. Like, what What are they? What, what are people going to do if they, like, mess around and win the Big 12? Like, well, do you they, send they, all 10? I, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I don't think that'll happen just because even if – I agree. Even if Texas Tech does mess around and win, I don't think Oklahoma's got the slate – then, I mean, unless unless you get, like, a Texas Tech-Oklahoma Big 12 championship game, like, then maybe. Um, but, yeah, I just I think one of the two of them, um, even with one of them winning the Big 12, I, I just think one of the two of them will have fallen off. But I agree. It's definitely, like, something to keep an eye on. Um, you know, to, to add on this weekend, um, Louisville, uh, you know, bottom feeder of the country, um, the world, yeah, has not been able to uh, to get a lot done, but they've really shown sparks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they took it on the road to Miami. Um, you know, only losing by single digits in a game where they were very much in until I think um, coaching and just talent kind of took over in the final sure. few minutes. Same thing last night as well. Yeah, I mean, we they, saw they took Virginia to the break as well. Um, in, so in the chicken bucket. Uh. To add, add on to the weekend, um, you know, Illinois getting a crucial win against uh, Rutgers. Um, they're definitely going to be one of those teams that might get under siege just because of, you know, the guys that they have on their team. Yeah, volume of losses and all that. Um, but I still think that they have a really good chance uh, to make some noise if they're given the opportunity, and that Rutgers win sets them up kind of finish the season a lot stronger of a position than they were going into that game. Uh, more Big Ten talk. Uh, Northwestern kind of flying under the radar <laughs> um, for most of the season. Um, they, they've played a solid non-con. They were getting some good wins in the Big Ten, but still like not a lot of people were talking about them. And then, you know, if you want someone to talk about you in the Big Ten, beat Purdue or beat Indiana, and they said – We'll take both. Yeah. Um, Unbelievable. Two crucial um, wins that, like, are going to cement them to be, like, one of the highest seeds ever. I mean, I'm not a huge, like, Northwestern, like, buff knowing all their history. Right. But I would almost want to guarantee that they haven't had this high of an at-large bid if the season pans out the way that it's headed probably since, you know, there wasn't a three-point line. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, totally agree. And I think another thing that we just have to mention is a couple of different things. One, Sunday, that was one of the best court storms I've ever seen in my life. It was awesome. Love having the student section on both ends. They flooded the court immediately. It was awesome. 
You mentioned it too. The gothic black gold jersey combo. Unbelievable. Northwestern doing it right there. Then they go and get the win over Indiana. Once again, wearing some unbelievable uniforms. I don't know if you saw these. Yeah. But they were like, yeah, like red and and light blue. They got the basketball going around the NU. It's like, I think it's a little uh, takeoff the the Chicago, um, the city flag. Um, But yeah, regardless. Great work, Northwestern. Just had two great wins, wearing beautiful uniforms, had an awesome court storm. Um, Yeah, definitely kind of catching everybody's attention around the country. Excuse me, to continue with kind of some early week stuff, Miami knocks off North Carolina at the Dean Dome, and man, North Carolina, like, kind of running out of opportunities, man. Like, it's really coming down to it. I think Kentucky is sneaking a little bit more towards the safe side of things. Um, They got a great win over Mississippi State last night. That's a quad one win. North Carolina still without a quad one win. Um, Yeah, I just, wow, like, wow, wow, wow. That was a big opportunity for them, and they just got outscored in the second half um, and getting completely outplayed. Again, we mentioned earlier, Texas Tech, great win over Texas on Monday. Um, and then going into Tuesday, had a couple notable games. First of all, Creighton and Providence played one of the best games of the year, a double OT. What is it with the dunk and playing double OT games, man? It's unbelievable. So many overtimes at Providence. Providence is now, what was it, 10-1 and one in the last 11 overtime games? Um Obviously, the one loss coming at the CentOS Center earlier this season. Uh, and they're now 35-1 and one in their last 36 home games. That is unbelievable. Um, Ed Cooley said in a post-game interview, uh, yeah, you know, it's becoming, one of the, it's becoming one of the toughest places to play in the country. I don't think it's becoming anymore. I legitimately think it is one of the hardest places to play um, in the country there, uh, in the dunk, in Providence. So, um, great win for them over Creighton. Syracuse got a really good... A solid win, you know, and this is another thing. Like, if they continue to win games and win a couple games in the ACC, like, don't count Syracuse out either. And especially, you know, if they're first four or, like, a 10 seed, they're going to make the Sweet 16. Like, we always joke about this, but this, like, Bayheim figuring out late in the season happens all too often. Um, and it looks like it might be happening again this year. Good win over an NC State team. A couple questionable calls on the stretch. Um, but definitely uh, a good win for them. Oklahoma absolutely blew the doors off Kansas State in the second half in Norman. It was 36 apiece at the at the break. They outscored him 43-29 in the second half. Um, Shearfield had 22 for Oklahoma. Unbelievable. Great game for them. Again, they're 13-13. Probably out of the NCAA tournament talk, but probably still floating around that bubble area. Um, would have to put together quite a few wins, but just really un- unbelievable. And Kansas State on a little bit of a skid right now. Um, Looking ahead, they got to kind of get things settled here um, going forward if they still want to kind of be in that Big 12 uh, regular season title conversation. On the flip side of the state, Kansas got a huge win over Oklahoma State. So going on the road, they do the Oklahoma swing, beat Oklahoma and Oklahoma State on the road um, Saturday, Tuesday. Um, great couple wins for the Jayhawks. Really, really showing up. Um, tough atmosphere at Gallagher-Iba on Tuesday. Um, definitely one of my favorite atmospheres in, in college basketball. Great to see them. Uh, just go in and, and take care of business there. Um, so, yeah, good on the Jayhawks. They're really starting to shape things up and find their form here mid-February. Big test on Saturday. They're bringing the Baylor Bears in. It's college game day, top 10 matchup. Going to be an awesome one. Then they got to go on the road on Monday to TCU. So a couple game stretch here for the Jayhawks. They'll really see if they've truly cemented things uh, into kind of what we expected them to be preseason. 
Wednesday. Um, another top 10 matchup. Tennessee beating Alabama completely shocked me. I thought Alabama was rolling. I thought they had everything figured out. I thought Tennessee was on a downslide. And then they go and get a great win, um, protecting home court, winning by nine. Uh, so good work for the Volunteers there. Again, we mentioned Louisville taking Virginia to the brink. Northwestern beat Indiana. Um, Iowa State responded. They bounced back. They uh, protect home court, beat TCU uh, by 11 there. And then, of course, uh, maybe the matchup of the night, uh, Xavier unfortunately taking a one-point loss to Marquette, 69-68. But a phenomenal game played there from both sides. Uh, we'll talk more on that later. Graham, middle of the week, Monday, you know, Monday to Wednesday, big takeaways, and, and kind of what are we looking forward to this weekend? Um, you know, first first big big thing, um, North Carolina played a very good game, um, and I thought like this was going to be a great statement win because they were playing with some energy, they were hitting, um, you know, getting good stops, but. I think they kind of just, you know, it's one of the most confusing things in college basketball this year. Um, that's like the actual gameplay. I mean, obviously there's the New Mexico State and Chris Beard and uh, all that, all the actual serious, like confusing stuff. But in terms of playing the game, North Carolina's situation is one of the most confusing things. Agree. Because it's not like they were a really good team last year. And, you know, they're so dominant. And then they go to the national championship game. Um, and uh, they they just, like, can't, like, repeat it. Right. They lose some key members. Like, it's virtually the same thing, same team other than Brady Manic. And they just look like they're not, like, built for the situations that they put themselves in last year. Um you know, they shot an abysmal, I think, 15% from three. Um, like, that is just, you can't have that. Um, absolutely unbelievable that this they've just been on such a downward slope all year. Um, moving on to Tuesday, we talked about it already, but the Syracuse game, that was awesome. Judah Mintz is one of the best players in the country, and I don't think it's getting talked about enough. Um, he was a big-name recruit. He was linked to Kentucky because of his brother being there. Um, other big name programs were looking at him. Go to Syracuse, which is kind of a confusing move because Syracuse hasn't had the glitz and glamour that it's had in the past under Bayheim. But he has been unbelievable this year. Syracuse is getting some big crucial wins, um, taking care of it down the stretch after a really bad start um, in non conference play and at the start of the ACC. I think they opened up like one and two. Um, now sitting at nine and six after a huge win against NC State, which is a tournament team. Um, I thought that they looked really good, and that's exciting to see um, for Syracuse to be good. Uh, Bayheim's kind of on his way out, um, and no matter what you think about him, if you like him, you don't like him. He's good for the sport. He's one of the most influential um, icons of college basketball of all time, and he's definitely on his way out. Uh, no matter what he thinks. At the end of the day, he is getting old. Um, they haven't had as much success. So to see him go out, make the tournament, maybe make a run, would be one of the best storylines of college basketball this year. Totally. Um, move on. Uh, you know, Iowa State responding um, after that loss to uh, Texas Tech. TCU drops another one. 
starting to you know get a little bit worried about TCU. Obviously, they've had the injury bug, um, but at what point like do you like have cause for concern? And one of the big things that I've thought about with the Big Twelve gauntlet, and a lot of teams like dropping games, is when you're gonna have like lower end of the standing like Big Twelve teams. So, um, you know, you're gonna talk about if like an Oklahoma or um, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, Texas Tech, like whoever makes the tournament out of that group that's kind of at the bottom right now, who's going to end up finishing the Big 12 um, below 500. I think there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to be seated way too high come Big yeah, 12. totally agree. Um, and I think that's kind of part of what what we kind of talked about. Like with, you know, I think that's kind of a very common theme of like, oh, well, the Big 12 like underperforms like – in the NCAA tournament, and I think it's because like with like all these teams like racking up all these quad one wins, like you'll get a in Oklahoma State or a you know a, even like a TCU could be a great example this year. Like they'll get a four or five seed, and like they might get blitzed in the first round. Like that's very much a possibility, and it's this bad look on the conference. But it's because they get overseeded because they have nine quad one wins or whatever. Yeah, um, I think that there is going to be. Maybe it's not all the teams, but I think like an Iowa State, a Kansas State, Oklahoma State, TCU, West Virginia, Texas Tech, Oklahoma, whoever like gets overseeded out of that group, um, could very well, you know, get blown out, or maybe they squeeze past but don't really do much. I mean, these are going to be like top twenty-five teams in the country going into the tournament that a lot of teams are going to, you know, circle Final Four team. Like, they beat Kansas on the road. Like, this is a really big team. Like, at the same time, like, yeah, they've had a hard record. Oh, they've raked in wins. Like, they also lost more than 50% of their conference games. For sure. And even though the Big 12 is the Big 12 and it's the best conference in college basketball, at the end of the day, like, you're – I don't think that teams should get, um, you know – all this hype, all this praise for just existing in a good conference. Yeah, for sure. And I think the Big 12, you know, kind of gets an exception because it actually is good. More so the problem I have with it is when, like, 500 teams or just above 500, like, Big 10 or ACC teams make it just because of, like, their name, just because of their conference, when we're going to see a West Coast conference team, a Mountain West, maybe an A-10 conference usa team like get left out um in replace of you know west virginia team who all the metrics love but they're four and ten in their conference right now um but like they're probably gonna make the tournament yeah so i will finish under 500 in the big 12 yeah so that's something that i've kind of thought about that i'm a little bit concerned about uh once the tournament comes around um but at the same time i mean the big 12 is very legit and i think that Whoever finishes that top should be an immediate national title contender because they sure. they will have proven that they can win the big games. They could play a rigorous schedule um, because you can't win the Big 12. You can't place above 500 in the Big 12 with one or two guys or a good coach. Like it takes a lot. It takes a lot. So, all right. Well, looking ahead um, tonight, couple sneaky matchups tonight. We got uh, here tipping off about 20 minutes or 6:30 Eastern time. We've got. Uh, Purdue going on the road to Maryland. Maryland's been sneaky this year. Kevin Willard, first year. Could Purdue lose two in a week? We'll see. Um, but I think it'll be a good a good game tonight. 
uh, and definitely want to keep an eye on. And then also, of course, Gonzaga on the road at Loyola Marymount. Will Loyola Marymount sweep Gonzaga this season? That would be an utter shock and a huge headline, but definitely on the table. Looking into the weekend, um, Indiana-Illinois play a kind of a pivotal Big Ten game there. Tennessee-Kentucky. Kentucky, this is like your, not your last chance, but it's one of those last chances that you have to really, really make a statement here um, that you belong and deserve to be a tournament team. Iowa State's on the road at Kansas State this weekend. Um, again, I mentioned the top 10 matchup there. Baylor at Kansas. Um, and then, of course, uh, kind of rounding out that evening there. Uh, the West Coast um, finishing games that we got, like BYU-St. Mary's will be a good one. Um, so, yeah, worth noting. And then Sunday is a good slate as well. Got a couple games worth noting. Ohio State-Purdue. Ohio State is not a tournament team right now. Um, but you never know. Could still, obviously, give Purdue a run. And then North Carolina, North Carolina State. Man, North Carolina, you need this win so bad um, on the road in Raleigh. So, definitely worth um, keeping an eye on those as well. On that note, we'll move over to a little bit more of a somber, interesting, confusing headline. Um, so obviously, uh, we talked recent, you know, earlier in the season um, about the awful, uh, you know, situation surrounding New Mexico, New Mexico State, um, a shooting prior to the game uh, that led to the death of a New Mexico student. Um, just kind of a weird situation there. Um, and then coming out of that, this past Friday, we got the news Friday evening, so just almost a week ago now, um, it, we found that, or we, we heard that uh, New Mexico State was going to be suspending the remainder of their season unrelated to that event. Um, so really, really interesting stuff there. Um, so we've had everything from... You know, an internal investigation uh, regarding um, hazing being uh, reported. We've got a police report filed that also includes two counts of uh, criminal sexual contact. We've got um, false imprisonment. Like, it, this is all just seriously, it seems to be a cultural issue. And, and it's really interesting because obviously, this is the first season with new coach. Uh, Greg uh, Heyer, um, he has obviously been fired um, just yesterday. Um, he's been removed from the New Mexico State program. But this isn't like a, a you know, a, a consistently poor program. Right? I mean, this is consistently one of the best programs in the WAC, in the Western Athletic Conference. Like, I mean, this is a team that just a year ago, you know, played the NCAA tournament. They beat... Um, UConn and that win essentially cemented Chris Jan's spot now at Mississippi State as the head coach there um, and you know again provided more recognition for their brand and their team but New Mexico State is consistently you know coming out of the whack as the as their tournament representative so definitely a really interesting situation it's all internal it is being led by um, the New Mexico State Chancellor um, he's the one kind of spearheading the investigation into the program. Um, and again, as I understand this, this is clearly a very serious uh, situation. Our thoughts are with you know everyone affected and, and all the you know, student athletes that are a part of this. Um, just super confusing and interesting situation. Um, but Grandma, I'll, I'll kind of 
turn over to you with any thoughts and uh, and and where you know where this might lead for uh, for the Aggies. Yeah, um, I forget if it was Goodman or Borzello, but one of the CBS guys had a great tweet that this is one of the worst, um, like new coaching turnarounds that's ever happened in the history of college basketball. For sure. To go from prestigious, um, you know, like name, like recognizable in the world of college basketball. For sure. To having players bringing guns to other campuses, to sexual misconduct in the locker room. Like, I, there's been a, a great pushback on hazing in terms of, you know, Greek life and clubs on campus, and I'm all for it. Um, I've, you know, in, growing up in Ohio, being around Miami, Ohio, and Bowling Green, there's been some terrible cases that I've gotten to learn about, and hazing's definitely a problem that we need to, you know, address. When I heard hazing in terms of college basketball, I didn't really know what to expect. Right. If it was in, like, you know, you have to go into the gym and do this, or you have to you know, stay up all night before getting, like, I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. And when I heard, you know, the level of sexual misconduct of, you know, players having to do stuff to other players, like, that is the most foul and obscene things that I've heard of um, in college basketball in a long, long time. And then it really, it really struck home for me because this is not like a small school. This is a recognizable brand that has been established. For sure. Um, you know, for a long time. Um, you know, I've been filling out of brackets, you know, since I was five, six, seven years old. And since, you know, 2010, they've missed the tournament three times, That's which is unreal for a small school. For when you sure. Think about it. Um, and I'm a huge fan of writing, uh, New Mexico State in, especially when I was older and I learned how to actually write, you know, legibly <laughs> NMST just looks great on paper. Right. Um, you know, they've had, you know, some good 13, 14, and they've been in the 12 seed slot the last three times they're in the tournament. Got to pick a 5, 12 every time. Exactly. I've never been more comfortable um, writing NMST, even though um, last last year was the first time that they won that 5, 12 matchup. Yeah. Uh, they've had the 5, 12 matchup five times in that tournament run. Wow. One and four. Besides the point, uh, I just had to get that little dig in um, that I can never have a good bracket. Uh, but this is unreal. I could very well see them not having a program next year. And, yeah. Like, this might be kind of like a year off type deal. Um, mm-hmm. Very well kind of you know, seen at like a UAB football. You know, they weren't making money. They got in trouble with booster stuff. Some players weren't eligible. So they just said, you know what, we're done. Right. And they were done a couple of years, and they came back, and they're back in the Sun Belt and doing their thing. Um, yeah. I could definitely see that happening. But I think that it's going to be a very, very long off season for New Mexico State because even though there's some very serious stuff about, you know, players bringing guns, hazing, um, you know, sexual misconduct, um, if the school was so quick to just no we're not dealing with it we're just suspending the entire season well and it was you know it's a lot more is coming i i would agree and and it's obviously a, a 
and it's I'm glad to see that they are taking it so seriously. But it's to the point that like they were in California on Friday preparing to play Cal State Fullerton on Saturday, and they brought the team home. Like they said, you're not playing it. Like this means this is done now. So um, good to see that they're at least you know up front and taking it all and taking care of it in house. Um, hopefully, but yeah, definitely totally agree. Yeah, really, really interesting and, and interested to see kind of what comes out of it. And another thing is, and I'm waiting for someone someone to get a PhD and write a dissertation about this, about when a team. It's not going to be either of us. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, I I can't even write a short discussion post. Um, someone you know write about the effects of when a team makes the NCAA tournament, what it does for your school. Um, when St. Peter's made the NCAA tournament, their yes. applications for the next year have gone up astronomical. For sure. Um, New Mexico State is one of those schools that sure, you know, it's a reputable big school. It's one of the only Division One schools in New Mexico. Um, but these small schools are very dependent on the success of their athletics programs. Um, even in the case of Xavier, Xavier's a great school for academics. They're becoming a reputable school in many other sports. You know, making um, the NCAA tournament in their respective fields, um, Big East title contention. Like, our sports are on the rise here. For sure. But if something as traumatic, something as grave, were to happen to Xavier basketball, the effects on the school would crush it. For sure. So the fact that New Mexico State was able to say, hey, there's something coming, we're done, yeah. I think is a testament to the leadership that they have sure. outside of the basketball program. And I'm really hoping that if there are any students that weren't involved uh, on the team, if there are any student athletes that weren't on basketball but involved with the program in any capacity, that those students are taken care of because it is clear that in that one year that Jans has not been there, that there's been a grave shift in leadership and culture For sure. that needs to be addressed very soon. Yeah, absolutely. Well, alrighty. On that note, we will move on here. We'll kind of wrap it up with the Musketeer Minute. Um, a, a, a tough week for Xavier. Um, you take the road loss at Butler, and you take the road loss at Marquette. Um, obviously down a few members of the team last night. Uh added into the injury report alongside Zach Fremantle. No Cam Craft, no Des Claude last night. Um, you know, the, the Butler game is difficult because you go down early and as a team, and again, this is what we talked about earlier in the season. Being the best or one of the best teams in the Big East, this is everyone's biggest game. When you're coming to their place, they're going to circle it on the schedule. Butler has had our number in the Big East tournament for the past few years. And it, it obviously continued here in Hankel on Friday night. The students were unbelievable. Like, the place was packed. It was sold out. And it was honestly, if I'm being honest, like, one of the best atmospheres I've seen out of Hankel in the last few years. So, in that sense, I was kind of partially happy for them. Um, but I'm also glad that it came at the expense of Xavier and that, like, this is the reason that we're doing this because... Like, because we want to have these good games against Xavier. We want this to be, like, a competitive rivalry, all that. On the flip side of it, like, really, really tough game. Like, you you come out, you kind of get punched in the mouth early. Um, the response and the comeback takes a while. Um, and then once you're finally back into it, uh, a couple couple key errors down the stretch. 
um, some questionable, you know, officiating that can, you know, can be discussed one way or another. Um, and, and yeah, and obviously then the, the Jack Nungy timeout late in the game, you know, really tough for the kid. You have the turnover you needed. Um, and then just trying to be proactive and make the right play. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't the right play in that moment. So overall, I, I think it's really tough. Um, but again, you, you got to expect those in the Big East. It's similar to the DePaul game, like, not really that surprised that you're going to take one or two of those. The only tough part is, is then you got to turn around and play Marquette, you know, three or four days later. Um, and that's already a tough game as is, especially coming off, you know, a, a little bit of a knock, you know, a, a knock there against Butler. So, but really, and the tough part is, is, and we talked about this last night, the worst part for the, for the players and for the team is that against Butler, they knew they played bad and they knew there was plenty of area to improve on there. Marquette, the difficult part there is that they gave it everything. I mean, being so thin and so short-handed, it was unbelievable. Sule playing almost the entire game. Colby Jones playing 40 minutes. Jack Nungy playing nearly 40 minutes. Jerome Hunter playing nearly 40 minutes. Adam Kunkel, outside of fouling out at the end of the game, probably played almost 40, you know, would have played almost 40 minutes. So it was really unbelievable to see the effort and the passion and the aggression and the really the urgency to you know shown from the team in a game where they very easily could have rolled rolled over and said you know what like we're supposed to get beat here you know if we you know face adversity or go down uh, we'll just roll over and get to the next game against DePaul at home no they showed up and they showed some fight and that made me really confident and really made me feel good about where this team is going um, it, unfortunately it kind of comes at the cost of now being in a really tough spot in the Big East race. You probably got to win out, and you need Marquette to lose at least one, if not two, and they've got a pretty easy schedule on the way in, um, having to go at Creighton, and then after that, it's uh, DePaul, St. John's, and Butler for them. Again, of course, as we've seen as Xavier fans, any of those can obviously pick you off, um, but realistically, probably are, are in a pretty good spot to, to take home a, at least a share of the Big East title. Um, but yeah, so with that, I'll, I'll turn it over to you, Graham. Um, but overall, I think it was a it was a rough week, but definitely enough positives that now with a two-game home stand, you can really start to get things rolling here um, as you know we look up to March. Yeah, uh, to talk about the Butler game just really quickly, um, Hinkle's a tough place to play. Um, and uh, the way that, um, you know, DePaul hasn't been able to, you know, kind of carry over what I thought was really good momentum from last season – um, and Georgetown's still struggling in the Big East. It's, you know, like a vacuum up top with the top four teams being very, very good in the Big East. And then you have, um, you know, DePaul and Georgetown at the bottom. Butler, St. John's, Seton Hall, UConn, and Villanova are going to be playing so well the last five games. For sure. Because, you know... Setting up seeding in the Big East tournament is one of the more important um, brackets, I think, um, because of how important like the difference in playing in day one is. Um, then you can you know you could vouch for you know having the day off. Um, very similar to how like the Big Ten does it. Like there's two separate sections of buy games. If you right. get top four seed, like you have two rounds of buys. If you think about it that way. Um, so the Butler game stinks because you just absolutely got outclassed in every single way. You're trying to come back 
and then there's just things that don't go your way. But I think once you're able to, you know, you're able as a player, you could dissect that game. You're as a coach, you could make adjustments on what went wrong. Mm-hmm. Going to Marquette with a lot of energy, saying like, "Hey, that wasn't us. Look at what we've done this year. You know, we've beaten Marquette, we've beaten UConn twice, beat Providence, beat Creighton. Like we have a lot of forward momentum going into the Marquette game, and then Dez is out. Zach's still not playing." Cam's out, and Cam was giving us good minutes the last few games. Um, so that's like just like, what do you do? Sule's playing on a sprained ankle and gives you 40 minutes and played one of his better games all year outside of the turnovers. For sure. He played so well. 10 of 15 shooting after barely practicing because of his sprained ankle is unbelievable. It's, it's seriously ridiculous. Um, so the Marquette game really stinks, but there's been a... I think on campus and on social media, there's been this new energy that I don't really understand of that, oh, it's panic time, it's, you know, throw away the season, like, it's over, like, everyone's leaving next year, like, uh, all this negative energy. And I'm extremely optimistic uh, with the teams that, I, you know, I root for, and especially Xavier. But I'm not, I've, I honestly don't feel like I'm being optimistic. I'm just being very real when I say, we're tied for second in the Big East. Right. The most obscene things in the world would have to happen for us not to make the tournament. Yes. Um, we have all Big East caliber players on our team. We just went into Marquette, a top 10 team in the country. Had our best defensive game all year, probably. Moved up, what, you said 12 spots in Kempo on defense? Yeah. That's unbelievable. In one game. Yeah. That's how good we played on defense. We held them to 24 in the first half. Yeah, and um, they are known for their high-power, high-fluent offense that goes 5 for 22 from 3. Like, I I know that, like, a loss sucks, and I'm very well upset about the loss, and I don't think that there's any moral victories ever. But at the same accord, like, this is not time to panic. Um, I think Xavier has put themselves in a position all year long to be one of the top teams in the Big East, and dare I say, one of the top teams in the country. When we're healthy, when we're doing what we do, we are one of the best teams in the country. That isn't a feeling. That isn't a bias. It's a fact. Metrically, uh, on paper, and in person, we're one of the best teams in the country this year. Two straight losses is not ideal, especially when you're chasing a Big East title. But at the same time, we're second. Marquette loses a game. We take care of business. Who very well share a title. Marquette loses two games, which could happen. Could absolutely happen. Marquette's on the same page as us being a top team in the Big East. We dropped two games that we shouldn't have. Marquette could drop three games that they shouldn't have. Right, like, exactly. It's the Big East. They're, like, there's a reason that you roll the ball out there and you play games. You don't know what's going to happen. Um, so I don't think that there's any type time to panic. I think that... These next five games are very important for us to kind I think it's, the way I see it, is a way to define your season. Like, do we want to be good enough or do we want to be great? And I think that there's plenty of opportunities with DePaul and Butler to take care of business. Agreed. We go on into their place and lose two games where we played bad and, and still had stretches where we looked like the better team. Two home games, I think we should... 
not only win, go for the throat and say, like, uh-uh. This should be a St. John's level win for yeah. both those games. Play Villanova. Villanova got embarrassed by us at their place for the first time ever. Ever. <laughs> They're going to be coming in, as I talked about a little bit early when it opened up the Musketeer Minute, that a lot of teams are going to be fighting for seeding going into the Big East Tournament. Villanova is going to need that win. Like, they, they are not in the position of, oh, we just need to play a good game ahead of the tournament. Like, they need to win. They're going to be coming in with some fire. We should be able to say, no, like, this is not your time anymore. You travel to Seton Hall, who needs a win, take care of business. I think that we're the better team in every single way. Should be able to take care of that. And Providence, that, that you know, March 1st is going to be around the threshold that Marquette will be finishing up their games because they have a game in hand. Um, on the rest of the Big East right now um, in terms of Providence, Creighton, and us. That could very well be the game that decides who gets a title, who gets a share of the title, and who's out. That's going to be an important game. And I think the biggest takeaway with that is, like, like, we literally just proved that we can go into a very, very difficult environment in the Big East, middle of the week, and go go play into the very, very last second. And that's what we did against Marquette, and I think it's definitely possible against Providence. Yeah, at the end of the day, I think these five games are all very important for very different reasons. And I think it's up to us to show that this isn't a team about being good. It's a team about being great. Um, I feel like Xavier's been good the past couple years. But this is this is the difference. This is the standard. And I'm very excited for how the five games um, and the rest of the season look for us. And I hope next week we could talk about the DePaul game and we could talk about the Villanova game as a sign of, like, look where we're headed we're going into this road trip. Yeah. Totally agree. So. All right. Well, thank you all uh, for joining us. Um, great pod there. Good content. Um, kept it under an hour as well. So, um, yeah, all, all good thoughts there. Um, heading into the weekend here. We're going to have a great weekend. Again, middle, middle to almost late February now. Um, starting to get warm here in Cincinnati. Everybody's kind of like campus is a buzz. Everybody's ready for March Madness. We're all, of course, very excited. Can't wait to get to that content with you all. Um, but let's wrap up the regular season first. So, again, thank you all for joining us. Thursday, February 16th, myself, Evan Schibble, alongside Graham Griffith. As always, your host on the Norwood Noise podcast. Um, and, yeah, thank you all for joining us. We'll talk to you all middle of the week next week, probably a Tuesday game against Villanova. So we'll probably talk to you after that um, Wednesday, Thursday next week. Get you all updated and ready for kind of the wrap up of uh, the month of the month of February. So again, thank you all so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you very soon. Cheers.